The Ebony's and the Ivory podcast is a bi-weekly dialogue with Dr. Dejalon Jackson-Bell and Dr. Lakeitha Poole. Through the EITI podcast, we plan to promote our mission of dispelling myths, rewriting narratives, and championing women of color in higher education. All views expressed through this podcast are our own, do not represent any entity with which we are affiliated, and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information or to set up a consultation, visit our website at www.ebonysintheivory.com. You are now tuned in to Ebony's in the Ivory. Welcome back to another episode of the Ebony's and the Ivory podcast. This is one of your two hosts, Dr. Lakeitha Poole, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Dr. Bell. Hey, everybody. So we're back. This is episode 22. We just had a discussion because we couldn't remember where we were. (laughs) Um, And so 22, which is exciting. It's an exciting number, uh, which means we've been doing this for a while. And it's season two of the podcast. So that's pretty awesome to be at 22 episodes already. So if you're tuning in, more than likely you already subscribe. But just in case you don't, or in case you know someone who is not already um, send them over to SoundCloud or to Apple Podcasts in order to do that. Make sure that you like and follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, that's at Ebony's and the Ivory, and on Twitter, that's at Ebbs and the Ivory. And then, of course, if you're looking for a one-stop shop of where to catch up with all things EITI, head to our website, www.ebonysintheivory.com, accessible to you on the go, G-E-A-U-X. Um, already, already. So, episode twenty-two, Doctor Bell, take it away. We are veterans, Veteran Boulevard, everything. That's what we say. Episode twenty-two. So, um, this month on the podcast, we're going to talk about scholarly writing. Um. And the, and the title is Fight for the Right, so it's a play on the word, the word right with, you know, the W-R-I-T-E. Mm-hmm. Um, because scholarly writing is so important, um, and it encompasses much of what you'll be doing academically as a grad student or even mm-hmm. post-grad if you're working in academia, um, if you're looking to present at conferences or to publish articles. Um, your writing has to be up to par. Um, and as we, you know, we talked about in the past, there's a certain way that you have to write when you're writing, um, scholarly. So, um, this topic kind of came to me, um, uh, because I teach uh, graduate students on Thursday nights and much of my assignments require that students, um, basically write. Um, and I teach mainly first year students, some second year students. Um, and we kind of had a heart to heart about, um, you know, why it's important to use APA, why it's important. 
make sure that we're writing concisely and being able to get our thoughts across um, in a manner that um, is expected of a graduate student. Um, so, um, one of my students, as you'll read in the blog um, for this month, was really concerned um, because he hadn't written much. Um, in his undergraduate journey, along his undergraduate journey, um, he's really concerned um, about, even now, like after the first assignment, are you going to grade my money? I was like, I told you. <laughs> I gave you a timeline as to, you know, when y'all are going to give y'all's feedback. I, I promise I'm going to give you feedback. Uh, but even now, he's just kind of nervous about, um, you know, stepping up to that level of writing. Um, so I felt that, you know, this is a good topic for us to discuss uh, because we still have to, you know, write and uh, we're looking to publish things and, um, you know, I need to dust my, my, my chops off as it as mm-hmm. refers to scholarly writing as mm-hmm. well because I'm probably a little rusty. I mean, I write some things, but um, as far as like full out articles and um, just setting my mind to be able to write that certain way, um, you know, you get rusty when you don't, you don't flex that. Um, so in the blog, I talked about, I, I um, compared writing to um, a muscle that mm-hmm. has to be developed and it has to be continually exercised um, if you want maximum effectiveness or efficiency. Um, and if it's not maintained, um, atrophy can set in, which means your muscle gets weak, so your writing gets weak, um, and then the process must be kind of restarted in a sense. Um, so I talked about in the blog how, um, you know, between graduate school and my graduate uh, program, my graduate major, well, undergrad major was more um, skills based. We didn't have to really do a lot of writing. It was a kind of people. I got a bachelor of science, um, so in kinesiology. So we weren't really writing that much, to be honest. Um, so having to kind of learn how to do that with the few papers that we had in graduate school, because again, our graduate degree um, was skill based. Like we needed to know how to be able to to talk to people <laughs> and to help like to to learn those helping skills and to um use those skills to you know help clients that we had so we wrote in a sense um but then of course the doctoral degree just required a whole different level um, of scholarly writing um so um, i just you know this this month we're going to talk about writing and um, some strategies that we all can use both as graduate students and postgraduate students, faculty members, people who want to um, get published and all of those things. Um, we're going to talk about strategies um, that may help us. And these strategies are not necessarily technical, um, but maybe, um, I guess, as the help us lean towards um, making sure that we have a routine, um, that we're attacking scholarly writing from all sides, basically. So, I, of course, we have our receipts. Um, <laughs> so the American Psychological Association, which is APA, so if you're writing scholarly, um, most of the time, I mean, some people use MLA, like, um, you know, for business majors and human resources and things like that, they use MLA in a sense, but mainly APA is used, and the sixth edition is what's used, so it's kind of like the gold standard mm-hmm. um, for formatting scholarly literature. Um, so they actually um, published an article about how to be successful as far as writing is concerned, so who better to tell us 
and the people who we have to look up their manual and figure out how we're going to format our papers. Um, so the first strategy um, is to protect your writing time. Um, so that's blocking off uh, a chunk of time. You know, whether that be a certain time of day, whether that be a certain number of hours, whether that be, hey, I'm going to write, um, you know, once a week or twice a week, whatever that looks like, whatever works best for you. And you must commit to that time. So it's, that's an appointment that you have that you, you know, you sit down and say, hey, I'm going to do this at this time and you're faithful um, and you implement that with fidelity. Um, and it should become habitual. You know, once, you know, you've kind of firmly committed to that time. Mm -hmm. Um, Another strategy is to make concrete, achievable writing goals. Um, So you want to set goals that help guide your time. Um, You know, goals can be, I know, like, sometimes when we were were writing our dissertation, I had to pull up, I need a page. I need to to get a page today. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was, I need to have five pages by the end of this right time. Sometimes it was, I just need a paragraph. Like, right. Like, a paragraph. Um, yes. I'll be satisfied. Like, I'll be content because it, it may have been one of those days mm-hmm. um, where we just weren't in the flow. Um, so, um, you want to make sure that you place visible writing goals in a writing space, um, if you can, to, to you know, remain accountable. Mm-hmm. And then we have making a priority. Um, for listing your writing tests. So prioritizing is, this is especially for um, graduate students who may have multiple papers. Um, so you're not just having a paper for one class, but you might have three papers due that week. Yeah. Um, or you already know you have your syllabus, so you know, hey, this paper is due at this time, this paper is due at that time. So prioritizing um, your writing time um, and making sure that you complete whatever you need to first. Um, and it helps ensure that those major tasks, so maybe the one-page paper, the reflection paper, and then those, um, excuse me, minor tasks, and then those major tasks, like those major assignments, um, are properly addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, next is write and then revise, and this is something um, that I think is very important, and like going forward, I'm going to make sure that I implement. Um, so they say that you should write. And then revise. Don't spend your time writing a sentence and, hey, you know, let me figure out a better word. Or, My favorite is thesaurus.com. Everybody knows this. Um, <laughs> let me try to figure out, you know, what word I can use in lieu of this word. And then you've taken up 30 minutes on one sentence. And you kind of can, can impede your flow in a sense or interrupt your potential flow. So making sure that you write and get ideas down and then go back in and, and enhance this, the paragraph or the sentence or the words. Um, and then, you know, revise for clarity as well. Um, and then reading extensively is another strategy. Um, so most likely you're going to have to have a reference page or some people call it a works cited page mm-hmm. um, when you're writing. So that entails all the literature that you're referring to or referencing in whatever work that you're working on. Um, so in order to be able to tie in these references and tie in, uh, tie them into the concept or the topic um, or the research question that you're addressing, you have to be able to know what those 
those works say, those articles or those books or whatever that looks like. You have to actually know what's in them. Um, so reading extensively is very important. Um, I know that um, when we were starting to write our dissertation and we were actually, you know, working on the proposal and things of that nature, um, like I know we spend time just collecting articles, just collecting articles and just saving them. Like I had a I had a whole folder in Google that just said lit review. So every time I would come across an article, I would just drop it in that folder, drop mm-hmm. it in that folder. Um, and then I would go back, hey, I'm just going to spend time reading today. Like, I'm not going to write anything. I'm going to read. And I did a lot of that um, at the forefront um, so that when it was time to write, I could already uh, navigate the articles that I had already saved. Um, so it was easier to be able to reference. And it, it basically streamlined um, the, the writing process in a sense. Um, one of the most pertinent and important strategies I feel um, that they also part of is to get a group. Yeah. Um, so, Doctor Poole, you know we talk about this all the all the time. time. Mm-hmm. All the time. And I actually told my students I actually have them um, in a peer group, one of their assignments, because it's oh, invaluable. That's cool. mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's just invaluable. You have to. And they're like, oh no, we have a group project. I'm like, no, it's not a group project per se but you guys need to learn how to how to write in a peer group and you need to understand how valuable um it is how it brings a sense of accountability um it brings a sense of being able to um you know to be collective and to um take into account other people's ideas and things of that nature it's just valuable um so you know when we were writing we would ask each other, hey, does this even make like radical sense? What do you think about this? Mm-hmm. Um, listen to this concept. Listen to this topic. Um, we bounced our ideas off of each other all the time. Um, and, and it helped, that helped with clarity. Um, so it's, it's, of course, it's crucial. You have to have accountability partners. Um, and like, I just, like, where would we be if we weren't in the right group together? Like, if it's not, where would even be? Yeah, this wouldn't be a thing, so. Because we literally, like, like we, if we would have made it, like, we would have been, like, we wouldn't have stayed on our timeline, for sure. Yeah, um, for sure. We, it, well, it's it, the it, accountability, it's just, like you said. Like, yeah. it just matters. Yeah, it really does. So, like, if you don't hear anything else I'm saying, get a group. Get a writing group. Even professors. So, um, I get um, university correspondence every day, twice a day, three times a day. I don't know who's sending these emails, uh, but I get them all day long. Um, so, one of the emails today was talking about writing strategies, um, coincidentally. And um, it was talking about getting a group as a faculty member. Mm. So, making sure that you're in a peer group. Um to be able to do these things and to to, hold, to be accountable and um, to help generate, you know, innovative ideas about writing and, and things like that and to be able to partner. Because um, you have to, you know, when you're publishing and writing books and things like that, sometimes you want to work with other people. Right. Um, so, um, you know, you have to make sure that you, you, you know, you can, can write with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then next we have don't underestimate self-care so i know y'all know we always talk about self-care and will but it's truly important and we will continue (laughs) (laughs) because it's truly important um but as the article stated it's okay to take a break when you're writing 
you need a break. Um, you know, when I was writing my dissertation, I would take Tuesday evenings off or whatever, whatever night, um, Mary the first night came on, um, that, <laughs> <laughs> that I would take and my friends would come over and we would watch TV. And then also Saturday evenings, um, to rest and get my brain, you know, the opportunity to recharge. Mm-hmm. You just, you need a break. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason, I mean, I took those two days, um, our writing timeline was very intense. Um, so that's pretty much all I could shake, but I still made sure that, um, you know, I, I took that opportunity. Um, so, you know, during that time again, I caught up on my favorite shows and movies, went to dinner, hung out with my friends doing those small opportunities, small windows of time. Um, so whatever self-care looks like to you, just make sure you're intentional. Dr. Cool, what, how did you make sure that you took a break throughout the week when you were writing? I kind of did the same thing. My day was Fridays, like after getting off from work and Saturday mornings. So, and I would do like the same thing. I would like, like Friday after work, we'll come home. Or if I like, I mean, we had the same kind of friends. So if we met up and did something, we did. But, you know, we'll go to like Bar Louie or something. Rest in peace to Bar Louie Baton Rouge. Um, but... <laughs> Um, you know, something like that. And if we weren't all meeting up, then I would just kind of go home and like do nothing, like just try to turn my brain off. So watch TV or maybe even like try to go to the gym. Um, if it was like, if it was possible and there was a long weekend, I would go home to New Orleans yes. so that like yeah. my mom could cook for me for the weekend and yes. have good food. Wait till she hit this. That is so funny. Um, so yeah, so I think just, you know, kind of the same thing, just picking those days and being intentional and sticking with them, like not letting anything else get put on top of, of that. So, you know, whatever I could do to chill. And it was kind of, that was like the freedom in it, like choosing what I wanted to do. So. Um, the rest of the week, I kind of didn't have any choice because I knew I needed to write. Whereas, um, on Friday and Saturday mornings, uh, that's kind of just, I knew it was like, wake up and do what you want to do today. So that was really nice. And so Saturday mornings, I would literally sit at the table and eat cereal or break or make myself breakfast and watch, uh, Empire. <laughs> Like from the week. So like you said, catch up on my show. Same thing. Same thing. Something mindless, something that you don't have to mm-hmm. use a lot of brain power for. But just like we said about um, making sure that, you know, you're chunking your time for writing and you have it on your calendar um, and it's a firm commitment, like that self-care piece also needs to be a firm commitment. Just as mm-hmm. important as um, the writing time that you're committed to and that you... Um, you know, you, you're firmly committed to, um, pretty much, yeah. So, um, I think the next strategy is to be confident in your ability to complete the test. So this is also very important. Um, so we talk, we've talked in the past and we'll continue to talk about imposter syndrome, um, and how, you know, in those moments where you have a, a big assignment or an assignment to complete, or you have a deadline, a writing deadline, um, or you're even faced with how am I even going to get started working on this assignment?
assignment or this project or whatever that looks like um, to not let imposter syndrome rear, rear its ugly head um, and to remind yourself that you deserve to be right where you are mm-hmm. um, and be confident in your capability to achieve and thrive. So the article talks about, you know, it's, you know, getting in, into graduate school is not necessarily an easy process. So for you to be able to be um, accepted um, and you to be, you know, you know, thriving and in the program, um, don't take that for granted. Um, and don't take that as a light thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's um, you know, it, it, it shows that you have, you're capable of being able to, and, and whoever accepted you and your program directors and your, your um, professors and um, whomever else um, believed in you enough to select you. So be confident in your capabilities um, to, again, achieve and thrive and to get it done. Yeah. And then lastly, um, but not least is to remember why you do it. Um, what is the, the big picture? Um, so one of my favorite, I'll say this all the time, is to make sure you keep your eyes on the prize. Um, when we, when writing got tough for the both of us, Dr. Poole, um, and we complain and we, and, 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 like, we'd be like, why are we doing this? This mm-hmm. is stupid. Like, <laughs> this is the, why do we do this? Like, we would literally do probably like once a week. Or yeah, seriously. Like, why do why are we doing this? This is so stupid. Like, but um, then we recall the reasons why, you know, we pursue grad school and doctoral, uh, the doctoral journey in the first place, and as well as the benefits um, that would, you know, that came along with um, getting a degree. Um, for me personally, I would always visualize myself, you know, walking across the stage with my three stripes on my arm and, um, you know, LSU, they put your name on the screen and you're on the screen, you know, for your own, your own time. I mean, you get hooded um, by whomever, um, the graduate dean and, and your, your uh, chair um, and, you know, you know how I feel about pomp and circumstance. Oh my god, oh, that's my song. <laughs> um, so visualizing pomp and circumstance, playing while like I'm walking in front of, you know, in the PMAG in front of all these people. Um, I would visualize that, um, and and it just it got me excited. And I'm like, okay, this is why I'm doing this, and also um, just the effect that that I could have on those coming behind me, um, the way that I could change my future. Um, I know, I remember Dr. Poole telling me one time, hey, you know, we can get this done. We're going to do this. You know, when you, when you have a kid, you know, your kid's only going to know you as Dr. Bell. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I would think about those things too, or, you know, Shauna saying, um, you know, Dr. Allen Mitchell, what, what would you, you know, think about, you know, your wedding invitations. Mm-hmm. Um, to you, you're going to be able to put doctor on them. Mm-hmm. My signature is those intrinsic and extrinsic um, motivating factors, you know, prove to be, you know, enough, you know, to keep me focused and to keep my eyes on the prize um, and to remind myself, you know, why I started. Um, Dr. Poole, what, what kind of things were you thinking about to help kind of keep your eyes on the prize during the writing process? Um, I definitely know many of the things you said, but also like for me, family. So I'm the first and as far as I know, still the only person in my family lineage to have a PhD. Um, and that's, I mean, 
I don't think on those days when we were like, no, we're quitting that I, <laughs> that I thought about it as much, but it really was the days when I wanted to write or I wanted to get something done. I needed to calculate my stats and figure out SPSS and all this stuff. And I had to think about that part of it of like, I visualize myself changing the course of my family, like, you know, and so being able to, um, in my chair, Dr. Williams is who told me that phrase about like, you know, your kids will never know you as anything else. And shout out to Dr. Williams. Um, and I think being able to kind of just, you know, literally know that no matter what my kids choose to do later in life, I've altered, you know, our family path forever. Um, and given, we'll be able to give them different opportunities than I had or than my mother had or than my grandmother had. And so, um, definitely family and, um, and I think like I'm stubborn and bullheaded, so I don't like to quit. <laughs> uh, so I think sometimes it was just, okay, you quit for today. Like you can quit today. Um, and tomorrow you need to figure it out. Like you need to figure out what it is that has you feeling like this today so you can move on. And so, um, I think like you said, it all is, it's the bigger picture. It's like knowing that, um, it's not just even really about me. It's a moment for me. It's, it's a choice that I made. It's a promise I committed to, to myself, but it goes well beyond that, you know, and, and even, you know, the three, almost four, which is kind of crazy that we're almost away four years out from finishing. But I think about in that time, in the time since we finished to now, just the number of like students that have sat in my classes or that I've um, sat across from in the therapy room and who also get to see somebody, you know, have accomplished what we have. And so, um, you know, it was just kind of trying to think before we're thinking and try to stay positive and try to think about beyond myself sometimes in those moments and just kind of use it. Yeah. Um, basically about you know establishing a legacy in a sense and just being a beacon you know for other people um when people ask me or people want to talk about it or even you know the people that we get to connect um with through this platform i'm always like you know if i can do it you know you can do it Mm -hmm. um so being able to be that kind of model in a sense um that you know we have, you know, some of the same backgrounds and maybe the, some of the same majors and some of the same issues and working through um, our educational journey as women of color. Uh, but if we can do it, you know, you can do it. So um, being in that, it's, it's bigger than us. And, um, you know, it's our, it's, you know, Michelle Obama says, you know, it's our duty, you know, to, to be established and to achieve um, so that we can turn around and help those who come behind us, basically. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, one other thing that the article did not mention that I would offer mm-hmm. um, as a strategy is that once you receive feedback on your writing, um, to not take it personally. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, writing this, I was able to kind of some introspection and look back on my journey, especially as it pertains to like writing and, um, you know, flexing that muscle, so to speak. 
I remember when, um, first of all, when we were able to go through and mm-hmm. um, we had to write a paper mm-hmm. and Dr. Albert, um, would just, first of all, she gave us so much feedback and we was like, how you're like the vice provost. How do you have time? Yeah. Like to when are you doing this girl? Feedback? Like when are you doing this? But she was serious about it. She was like, no, y'all are going to be competent writers. Like I'm going to make sure of it. So she would fill our papers with that pink pen. You remember that pink pen? Mm-hmm. Um, and she would write a paper just pink, just everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Um, but, you know, I remember being like, okay, I thought I was an okay writer, but I guess I need to figure out this APA. Um, I guess I need to figure out, like, how to add more richness to what I'm writing about. And then, um, you know, as I progress to the um, pursuing a, the doctoral degree, uh, I remember my professor, my chair, Dr. Curry, asked me to contribute to a textbook that she was writing. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I, I know about this stuff. Like, I'll write. And, like, I'm writing. And, like, moment of transparency. I, 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 you know, I, it's like 30 pages. Like, in the midst of me getting a doc, you know, going to classes and doing and working full time. So like her first feedback to me was, um, some of this needs a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Was like, excuse me, like, like I know she did just like y'all. I was like teary. Like first of all, nobody has ever told me anything like that. Like I am an achiever. Okay, <laughs> so like, I mean not to. In the most humblest way I am. Yeah. So I was just like, mm, okay. Um, and my feelings were real. I was just like, you know, I'm looking at you sideways, Dr. Curry. Like, how dare you? Mm-hmm. Um, but that moment, like, really shaped, um, you know, how I perceived how important it was to um, take the necessary steps to um, become a better writer. Um, it was it was what I needed. I needed that feedback. I didn't feel like that at the time. I was like really mad, um, but really angry. But um, that was what I needed to hear. That was a challenge that I needed, and that was a push that I needed um, to figure out, you know, how to write scholarly. Um, and you know, when we came through on the other side. Um, I learned really quickly how to write. Um, especially up to her standards, which is the gold standard, basically. Um, <laughs> so, and then, and then that helped me as well because she ended up being my dissertation chair, so mm-hmm. we were on the same page going forward. And I already knew what she expected of me. I already knew what it what it took, um, you know, to be able to produce uh, a work that was substantial um, and that could be, you know, accepted in a sense. Um you know, by the rest of my committee and things like that. So, um, I definitely had to learn not to take things personally. Um, and that, um, you know, whoever is reviewing your work or whoever you're writing with and they, whatever feedback they give you, they're just editing a body of work. And it's, it doesn't speak to, you know, your intellectual capacity. It's not reflective of that. Mm-hmm. But just in that, um, you know, they're, 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 different ways or there's another way to kind of produce what's needing to needing to be produced um and, and like i said writing is technical scholarly writing 
Vegas, we always like we used to sit and get in the ACC and be like, I can't, we can't wait to write what we want to write. Mm-hmm. I want to write it. Like, I'm, I'm writing it. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so constraining. And it's, it's, you have to literally, like, you know, cross your T's and dye your eyes. And it's a voice that you have to use that can sometimes seem stodgy or stoic. Um, and, and, and you have to, you have to, if you have an original thought, you would still have to back up what you say. Um, you know, you, you can't just write what you want to write, and that's just what it is. No, how do you know this? Like, how is this proven? Where are you getting this from? Um, so, in that sense, um, we want to write what we want to write. So, we're doing it not on the blog per se, but we still have to do some scholarly writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's not, you know, taking it personally because it's it's a specific way that you have to write, and that's just what it is that's just that's just how academia is um so is there any other advice that you would add um dr Poole, in addition to um some of the strategies that we've covered so far um no i love the list actually i think it's pretty extensive and very like uh accurate and honest um and you know gives people like a fair understanding that you're going to have some struggles. And so being able to then know how to cope and know how to handle them is, is the truth of what it means to really get a PhD. It's a perseverance game. It's not about how smart you are and how well you've done and how charming you can be. Like none of that matters at all. Um, Trust me, we tried it. And so being able to, you know, just be honest with yourself about where you are and knowing where your strengths and your areas of improvement lie. So if, if you struggle with receiving feedback, then work on that, like work on being able to do that. Um, I think for me, one of my personal pet peeves is being like embarrassed outside of my control. And so for me, I had to view feedback about like my writing as that, like this person is trying to make sure that I'm not going to be embarrassed. And that is what I want in life. And so I think just doing that for me was useful. Um, and then the other thing that I enjoyed and appreciated, Dr. Alan Mitchell allowed me while I was TAing for her to do the APA corrections for her students. And that made me a better APA writer as well. So those are like, I mean, I guess like technical things, you know, those sort of things really helped just in the overall, um, learning process to me of being a good writer. Cause like you said, I mean, most of the time we already, we see ourselves as good writers because in undergrad you're writing, the expectation is just different. And so having to switch that up a little bit, um, for the sake of trying to do, do better, <laughs> um, I feel like it, it was useful. And if you can accept the feedback and accept the support, then you'll do fine. I agree with that. Um, I think you kind of really, you kind of talked about it already. I touched on it, but can you think of anything like specifically or pinpoint anything specifically that helped you um, develop into a good writer outside of, you know, being able to do those APA corrections as a TA? I think reading, <laughs> people don't like yeah. to read anymore, which is weird. Yeah. Um, and maybe because we have to read so much, but yeah. 
I think the more I even find this now, like even being done, you know, because you can get out of the habit of having to do weekly writing, like when you're doing a dissertation that, um, you know, you have to keep those skills sharp. And so I feel like reading keeps me sort of grounded in being the best writer that I can be because storytelling or even reading articles, um, you just kind of have a better understanding of the appropriateness of what your writing should look like based on where it's headed. Like, where is it going? Where is it going to be posted? And so, um, cause writing a blog is like you said, different than writing, uh, uh, submitting a, a journal article. And so, um, definitely reading, um, I totally agree with the uh, the suggestion about like just writing stuff out first and then spending time editing. Like I would write sections or several pages and then edit. Like I might write a 10 page section before even touching anything. That's like spelling, whatever. Like I would just write it um, and then go back and figure out what I needed to make it you know, the way it was supposed to be. Cause I mean, you could stunt your kind of creative process in writing if you keep stopping and starting. So I think that was definitely something that made me a better writer because then I also didn't want to spend all my time editing. So I did my best to write it in the language that it needed to be in as best I could, but just didn't get stuck on that. And so, um, I definitely think that helped too. I think for me, um, one, as plain as day, you have to write to be a writer. Um, and the article talks about that too. You have to write. Um, and if you're, um, you know, pursuing a doctorate degree or a graduate degree, um, and you have assignments or you're writing your dissertation and you have this timeline, you need to try to write um, frequently. Again, whether that looks like um, you know, every day. Every Tuesday, every whatever that whatever that looks like, um, and even if it's as as Dr. Alan Mitchell told, even if you just get a sentence down that day, mm-hmm. at least you sat there every day or whenever, uh, whatever time you carved out and you write. Mm-hmm. Um, so like sitting down and actually writing is the first first um, step. First step. Um, I like what you said about looking at um, other people's writing. So other texts, other um, journal articles, and looking at the way that they format and the, the voice that they use, um, some of the verbiage that they use. Um, I think that's important as well. Um, to be able to look at the styles of writing and, and to be able to draw um, from that. And then I know, for me, I I have like a million thoughts a minute. So, um, like having a notepad or having like Mm-hmm. I use my phone. I have so many notes on my phone. <laughs> um, jot stuff down in my phone. Ideas that I have, I'm going to link this to that or that to that, you know, um, to be able to, um, you know, just have ideas or um, have topics or, um, you know, when you're thinking about, I know all the time I used to think, well, hey, I should have put this in my dissertation, you know, while I'm you know, get food or something, have me write that down so I can go back and revisit that. Um, I think that that's important as well. Um, that would be, you know, what I think has helped me, um, you know, to develop into a good writer. Yeah. Um, lastly, 
I know we kind of already talked about any technical writing advice. Do you have any technical advice um, that you would want to add to what we've already discussed? Um, just like really buy your APA manual. Don't fake. Um, like buy it for real because the rules change based on edition. So when we were in our master's program, I think we were still on like the fourth edition or fifth edition. And then by the time we got into our PhD programs and we're writing, they were on the sixth edition. I think they're still on the sixth edition right now, maybe. And so, um, and this is maybe this is more on the <laughs> the faculty side for me, but my like pet peeve is when I give a student APA feedback and they tell me they have not bought the manual and want to then have a discussion about my feedback. And so I'm sure similarly, if I had done that, which I didn't, cause I kept the APA manual and I still have them all, <laughs> um, you know, to make sure that I'm being, uh, Correct. In my writing and the formatting, because all that stuff matters beyond your dissertation as well. Like journal, journal, journal submissions have, um, requirements and formatting requirements. And even like when you have to send your document off to the graduate school, sometimes that's a different, you know, sort of structure and format as well. So I think it's just more about, um, figuring out how to best, you know, navigate like the skill things that you might lack and figure out what they are, figure out what the resources that are there. And so I don't necessarily know how technical that is besides going to buy the book, but I think being able to sort of just, you know, practice and know that you can always improve your writing. Like that's not something that you can't do. So um, I think just keep practicing, doing, be open to the feedback, um, allow yourself to have, you know, experiences writing about non-academic things so that you can at least just get in the habit of writing in general. Um, and I think you'll be okay. Yeah. My advice would, um, kind of be along those lines. And then I would add, um, if you, you know, are looking to, um, you know, to improve technically, um, and you have access to a college campus, visiting the writing center, Mm -hmm. Um, that's something that, that's a resource that I, um, you know, propose to my students is, you know, you're having difficulty or this is something that you're not used to. It's the writing center. They help students, they help staff members, they help faculty members as well. Um, you know, just kind of improve your, your skills. Um, also like being thorough. So in addition to like, um, you know, utilizing APA correctly, but, um, like I know, for instance, when I was writing, making sure that uh, the references that I included on my reference page matched the references that were actually in my the body of my document. So just just making sure that you're thorough and helping somebody uh, put a, another set of eyes on it, mm-hmm. um, I think is really important as well to get a peer reviewer or a peer editor, um, someone who can. Um, can look over and say, hey, well, you know, I see this, or maybe you should add this. Um, just getting some other feedback, I think, is also, is also important. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So hopefully we've provided some strategies that um, you evidence can utilize and um, that will help. I know that I'm going to take into account um, some of these strategies moving forward. 
hopefully to, like you said, Dr. Poole, we all get to music and improve our writing. Um, and it's a big part of, of you know, what we do in, in the Upper Tower. So it's really important. So um, if you have any other suggestions or any other advice um, as far as improving your scholarly writing, be sure to drop us uh, a comment on the website, on our podcast post, or on the blog post um, from the week before. Um, and then now we're going to take our little break. Um, so we'll be back for our signature segments. Lab. 
She was told not to contact him or her lab mates. She was encouraged to resign from the university. Oh, wow. And that her faculty advisor um, was not going to give her a recommendation. So I'm like, okay, well, how did this, you know, transpire that quickly? And then on April 14th, unfortunately, Anna Owens, you know, died by suicide. Um, so in the midst of that, um, she was accused of, like, kind of messing with the rifling through um, one of her lab mates' um, lab drawers and their equipment. Um, and then she was also accused, um, along with another student, of, um, you know, going on to her faculty advisor's um, computer and looking at his files and some of the websites um, that he visited. Um, and, you know, whoever, you know, did the research for this article, they went and spoke to um, some of the people um, that were, that played a, um, you know, a role, you know, in this and a role in um, her experience as a doctoral student. And they got, you know, different sides of the story. Um, mm-hmm. And it turns out that, um, you know, she, it, she wasn't necessarily, she was a bystander in mm-hmm. some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she had complained about someone, you know, tampering with her lab drawer or whatever she used for experimentation. Um, and some of those concerns were not addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, she had already had previous mental health um, concerns. Um, they went as far as to go to her um, master's program faculty advisor and spoke with him. And, you know, he said he also noticed some things and referred her to the counseling program, um, to the counseling center um, at her master's, at the school she got her master's from. Um, so, and it's, when I talk about in student development theory about, you know, this theory of challenges and support by Sanford. So if you have challenges, um, in order to thrive and to succeed, um, your support has to meet the level of your challenges. Yeah. So those coping skills and those attitudes and that knowledge um, that surrounds that, that you, you have to have people in your life that are supportive. Um, and if that's off kilter, if there's not a balance, um, you know, then, then, you know, situations happen um, yeah. that are unpleasant. Um, so, um, unfortunately for Owensby, um, you know, those, those supports, you know, didn't match the challenges that she started facing. And her, you know, her world turned upside down. You know, think about, you know, you spent four years of your life pursuing, um, a doctorate in chemistry, which I know is not an easy time. Like, I oh don't my know, gosh, not at all. College, high school chemistry, like you forget that for me. So you, you know, excelled and you got to this level where you, defended your proposal um, and you've earned candidacy and then to be told hey you need to resign you know all in a matter of you know a, a few weeks that definitely took an emotional toll on her mm-hmm. um, so as the article you know shares her story it talks about um, you know how suicide um, or death by suicide um, how it's addressed in higher education um the vice president of research at the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention um, noted that you know there's no one situation or event that makes someone suicidal. Um, it's not one cause. Um, it's a number of conditions. It's a number of factors that people experience um, to make them feel overwhelmed and unable to cope. Um, and this is kind of um, what the article said. Kind of basically happened with Anna Owensby. 
Um, so it's important to, you know, as, as a faculty member, as a peer, as a classmate, it's important for us to be able to um, kind of notice um, those warning signs and be uh, abreast of what those warning signs look like. Um, so the article talks about concrete steps that advisors, departments, and schools can take to better support graduate students' mental health and reduce the risk of, of you know, this happening um, for students or to students. So one of the um, one of the steps was, you know, supporting all students. So it says the support should go beyond sending annual email, you know, during the month of September. Hey, this is, you know, National Suicide Prevention Month. This is a hotline that you can call. Um, that, you know, additional steps include, may include opening events such as stress management workshops or wellness workshops, sponsoring writing groups, as we just talked about, um, to ease some of that pressure to help students um, be surrounded um, by other students who are, um, having the same experiences that they have, um, and just to create a culture that acknowledges that graduate school is difficult. Everybody does not come from the same background. Mm-hmm. We have first-generation students. We have students with uh, with learning disabilities, and all of those things that we need to better accommodate for graduate students. Um, and then, um, you know, giving students strategies to cope. So that they don't feel trapped or they don't feel as if, you know, there's no hope or there's nothing else they can do. Um, also, in, in addition to um, programming and providing resources for students um, in terms of physical and mental and social health, it's also important for people to know how to respond when someone is in acute distress. Um, so making sure that campuses are properly staffed with trained clinicians. Um, so most campuses have a university counseling center, but oftentimes it's very difficult. And you know that Dr. Poole, you interned at the mm-hmm. counseling center at LSU. Um, most times it's very difficult to get an appointment. So when you think about, you know, universities that have 30,000, 25,000 students, and you may have three or four clinicians in the counseling center, um, it could take weeks, it could take months to get on, um, get on the books, and then, you know, well, why don't we refer students out, or why don't, because it's expensive. Yeah. And, and students don't, you know, some students don't have the financial means to be able to visit an outside um, source. So making sure that we have trained clinicians, um, making sure that um, conference centers are staffed appropriately, if not making sure that we're partnering with community, with community to um, be able to have those referral resources um, that students can, um, you know, can, can take advantage of um, easily to, to to remove barriers to those resources is also important. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are just some of the strategies. Um, and I know we both could probably go on and on about um, other things that, um, that, that, you know, higher education, um, that higher universities can implement um, to be able to support um, graduate students and students and general faculty members even um, as it relates to the stress that comes um, with being in, in academia. Um, but I just wanted to make sure that we 
number one, acknowledge that it was National Suicide Prevention Month, and then to look at, you know, and keep in mind how graduate students um, are affected, doctoral students are affected by just the stress um, that, that, that accompanies being in grad school and mm-hmm. um, trying to make a better life. So um, one of our um, goals for Ebony and the Ivory is to um, create a space where women of color feel supported, where women of color feel as if they have someone to go to. We have the mentorship initiative. Um, mm-hmm. They feel as if you have a tribe or you have a village, people who understand exactly what you're going through, um, people who you know have already come out on the other side and um, can help you keep your eyes on the prize and can help you to remember those intrinsic and extrinsic motivating factors and um, to remind you that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and kind of share some of that burden with you. That's always our goal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as co-founders of, of Ebony's and Ivory, so um, if you're listening to this podcast and you're having a really hard time, um, you know, just kind of dealing with or you feel overwhelmed with what's going on, please reach out to us. Um, you can email us, hit us up on the website, whatever that looks like, and we'll, you know, be able to point you in the right direction yeah. um, and just give you any support that you need. Definitely. Definitely. I like that you, you know, share that as our culture corner, because I think even more so, and I think you, you said this, but knowing that particularly as people of color, uh, women of color, we're taught more to, you know, kind of just like put your head down and do the work. And um, people struggle so much with getting beyond some of the norms that are cultural for us about talking about suicide and talking about mental health. And, um, and then so many of us are having first time experiences in grad school and you just don't know what to do. And so, um, again, I echo everything that you said, just, you know, figure out what support you need. Even if you don't know what that support looks like, um, reach out. Don't go through that experience by yourself. Get help and get support. Um, and we're here to do that too. Definitely. So on a lighter note, we have come to the point in the podcast um, that we love the most. Yes. Um, we get to spotlight an Ebony who is achieving and doing her thing. Um, so this month, um, our spotlight is on Robin Palms Bentley. Um, I know Robin um, from our undergraduate days at LSU. Um, she is also a soror of mine um, in Delta Sigma Theta. Um, and some of my um, immediate profiles or friends, and you know, we've um, we're acquaintances and have even become friends um, over the past few years. So we we're both school counselors. Um, so we have a lot of a lot of um, you know those those things in common. Um, Robin was recently accepted into LSU's higher ed doc program. So we've been talking about what that looks like, um, and you know, just trying to me because I graduated from that program, trying to provide. Um, any information that I have, that's always my goal. If I know it, you know it. Um, ask me because I'm not stingy with any information. Um, I'm going to tell you everything um, and try to help you in any way that I can. So um, as she, you know, went through the, you know, the application process and was, of course, accepted. I mean, 
expecting nothing less. Um, because she's great. Um, but, um, yeah, she was recently accepted into the program. She has a bachelor's in psychology from LSU. Um, and she has a master's in mental health counseling with a concentration in school counseling from Southern University, also in Baton Rouge. Um, and then she's also an LPC, and I believe she's an LPC, yes, if I'm not mistaken, um, at Bentley Wellness Associates. So that is a company um, owned by her and her husband. Mm-hmm. So her husband is also an LPC and an LPC. Oh, yes. nice. It's um, like LPC love. Also, and I know her husband. I've worked with him before. He's like the funniest person ever. I love him. Um, shout out to Eugene. Um, he, um, they have, um, their, their Bentley Wellness Associates LLC, um, together. Um, and like I said, he's also LP, LPCS, and he is also a doctoral student in the higher program. So they just like killing the game. Mm-hmm. Like power couple for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and, you know, I've, I've spoken to Robin about, um, you know, future plans and things like that and I know that she wants to be um, a faculty member and I know that you know she'd be amazing um, at that she's been a professional school counselor um, for many years um, and currently she is in that role at um, University in Baton Rouge um, so congrats Robin to you um, I know it's going to be an amazing journey for you um, I know that the counseling program, I mean, the counseling program, the higher program is lucky to have you um, and lucky to have all that you offer um, as a clinician, as a professional school counselor, as a boss. Um, so we wish you the best and we're so excited um, for your journey and for your future um, professorship and all that you'll be able to share with your future students. So congrats. We're so excited for you. Oh, yay. Congrats, Robin. Um, and now, Dr. Poole, we've come to the end of our show. Hmm, another episode um, under our belts. Another episode down. So we want to thank you all for tuning in um, and for your dedication to Ebony's and Ivory. Um, so many more great things in store um, for the podcast, for the blog, for EITR in general. Um, so please be on the lookout for content every Tuesday. Um, you know, look out for our hashtag EITI Tuesdays. Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe. Um, and also, please be sure to submit your fellow EITI accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Some people submit. Some people I see. Some people doing things, and I'm like, oh, so you're not going to submit. That's okay. I'm with you on blast. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> I well, we have a good one for next month already. So there's one in the inbox waiting on us. Yes, so I'm ready. excited Locked about and that. Loaded. One. Locked and loaded. <laughs> um, but I feel like we should give people their flowers while they're here. And I think we sometimes get, got, get so caught up mm-hmm. in the rat race and the day to day that we forget to pat ourselves on the back. So we talked about like success, children, you know, forgetting, you know, last month, uh, forgetting to, you know, sometimes take a step back and look at our accomplishments and be proud of ourselves, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really important. So submit your own self, um, but also um, submit people that you know as well so that we can applaud and acknowledge um, and congratulate women of color for the great things that we are doing um, because majoritized culture 
know, might not do that for us. So we're going to make sure that we take care of ourselves. Facts. Um, so if you don't have anything, Dr. Poole, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, you know, get ready for our next podcast. Yeah. I am so excited about this topic. I can't wait to hear feedback from y'all about what y'all think about writing and the journey. So I think this was a a great topic for the month. So like Dr. Bell said, just hit us up. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you have any additional tips that worked for you in the writing process or that's working for you right now if you're in it. Um, And we'll see you right back here next time. Until next time. Bye. Bye.